Let's go. Welcome to the Night Shift Football Podcast, episode 98. We're up to, we're closing in on that ton. Can't wait. How good. Uh, we got fantasy football. We got Juve getting docked points. We got the Bundesliga's return. We got a bunch of Premier League, which was pure red hot shit mostly this week, I think you'll find. Uh, Tommy's here. Say hi, mate. Hello. How is everybody? Cooper's here. Say hi, mate. Howdy. How we going? How good. Uh, we might start with some, uh, I was going to ask how you both going, but no one really cares. So we'll jump straight into oh, we'll start, we'll jump straight into fantasy football. Cooper, how's your fantasy team going? <laughs> Speaking oh. of things no one cares about. Oh. oh. Nah, I've had a rough couple of weeks, but I think I'm going alright this week. I've got 75 this week, so I'm traveling traveling not too bad. Yeah, nice. Good on you. We got 69 this week at the moment, but um <laughs> <laughs> we still have Harry Kane to play, Pereira to play, Perisic to play. Uh, we moved up, Tommy, after our trades last week. We jumped up. You'll be glad to know. Um, there's also been some drastic changes to the leaderboard. The overall, Callum Miller, who's led the way for about like 18 of the 19 game weeks or something so far, has dropped down to fourth. <clears throat> He's moved out of the top three. Unbelievably, Isaiah Mount goes to the top. He's our weekly leader, so he gets the shout-out. His team is called Cheese Toasty, and that's all one word. Nice. I don't yeah. mind that. Cheese Toasty? You don't want anything yeah. else on your Toasty? No, nah, not particularly. It's, it's like It seems like a night shift special. You it don't want a night shift okay. special. You've had you know, maybe one to ten too many drinks. You don't really want to go too exotic. You don't want to butter it up that much. No tomato. No. No need avocado. Just plain cheese. Bang. No, don't. I, I like tomato on my cheese toasty. You're or ham. playing with danger there. Yeah. yeah. Ham or tomato or both. Sometimes a little bit of onion. But now we're talking, a, you know, an unnecessary process when all you could do is whack some cheese slice on and you're done. Off you go. Simple Yeah. Good shit. Uh, do you know what's not good? Well, it depends on how you want to look at it. It's not good for Juve. They've been docked 15 points. Uh, either of you following along this story? Just with, you know... Lee, basically. I don't know the ins and outs, but it, God, the headlines make me laugh. Yeah. So <laughs> they've been deducted 15 points, which now puts them ninth. Um, there's all sorts of weird stuff going on in Italy. They've um, they've launched an appeal, Juve, oh. about this. It's to do with something to do with transfer policies, and apparently they've been found guilty of uh, inflating their budget sheets kind of cooking the books a bit to make their transfer fees seem bigger or something. Um, but anyway, it's ended in the prosecutor wanted like a, a nine-point ban, but the court handed down 15 points. Um, the f- former president, Andrea Agnelli, has been banned for two years. Former sporting director, Fabio Paratici, who's at Tottenham, has received a 30-month ban. Um, 11 oh, others nice. who were Juventus directors or in whole, um have also been banned from holding positions in Italian football. It's uh, it seems, but it looks like the Juve are launching the appeal because they seem to think they're not the only ones that could be in trouble over this, and there may be more oh. to follow. Oh, so you think they're just going to try and drag everybody else down with them? Potentially, I, I've oh. I don't know the ins and outs too well. Financial jargon does go over my head a bit. But um, either way, I think most people, unless you're a U of A fan, are enjoying a 15-point deduction for these guys. Tell you what, snitches, they get stitches, my man. Snitches get stitches. Could you got anything you want to say about this? Do you know? Do you watch much Italian football? Or 
I watch a fair bit of Italian football. You're uh, a Roma guy, aren't you? I am a Roma guy. Um, I don't know too it's much about the. Don't know too much about the point deduction. Um, in my opinion, not harsh enough. Relegate them. <laughs> um, but... It's re- it's remarkable that they can get docked 15 points and only drop down to ninth. Yeah, well, they're now they sit closer to the relegation zone than they do the top of the table now, though. Um, Napoli streaming away with 50 points already halfway through the season. Um, Juve seem convinced that they're going to get around this or that it's going to be overturned or something, which could play havoc with the table at some point. And there was guys like Leo Benucci, the captain, writing on his Instagram that Juventus is like a seven-headed hydra. Cut off one of its heads and another one appears. It never gives up and its strength is its culture. There you go. How many is that? How many... Um, Leo Benucci telling us that there's another six scandals we should try and uncover and dock more points from them? Or? It seems that way, doesn't it? Or maybe he might be alluding to the fact that last time Juventus were embroiled in a scandal like this, they came back and went on to win nine titles in a row. So uh, I don't know if we should all be giggling just yet, but there you go. That's the latest in Italian football. I don't know. I think that we should look a little bit more deeply into those nine titles. It seems a little bit scandalous that they could be able to achieve that. Nah, they, well, I don't know. Let's just cast aspersion on on everything they've done. I did the one thing I saw about Italian football this weekend. Um, Spalletti, after Napoli's two 0 win, uh, has become the coach with the most wins in Serie A history, two hundred and seventy six. And just I just wanted another reason to spruik the best team in Europe, Napoli. Very good. They're the mo- They are definitely the best equipped um, to win the league, and I'm hoping win the Champions League. Yeah, they they won again this week, and Ossi, your man Ossiman scored it again. Um, he can't seem to stop at the moment, and I I copped some grief last week from some some of our listeners because I said I like, that, the, I like that they give you grief and neither me nor Coop. This is well, you're like the main man to receive the feedback this week. They did because I declared that Napoli was all over and they were going to win the league because they were eight points ahead, but I was worried about Arsenal's lead mm. you know and they're different situations i'm gonna i'm gonna defend myself here i think they're very different situations the chasing pack in italy are nowhere near as good as napoli are uh the chasing pack being city against arsenal are are more of a threat i'd say um but there you go yep you're just trying to cover all your bases now I, i'd agree with that i think napoli are definitely in a better position than arsenal are to win a league title yeah for sure napoli don't have a billion dollar squad of light blue dickheads chasing after them so they are the light blue dickheads but they don't cost a billion dollars <laughs> all right uh bundesliga return this week uh we'll quickly i just quickly want to mention this because um not so much results wise but uh the bundesliga obviously is a 18 team league um so nine matches each weekend and this week the nine matches amassed over 40 goals and that that is uh that is some goal rate. Yeah. Are we going to try and work it out? <laughs> Four point something? Uh, I did it this morning. It was like 4.6 goals a game or something no, like that. I've, not I've forgotten shabby. the exact number, but there were some big ones in there. Munchen Gladbach, two, Leverkusen, three. Uh, Dortmund won 4-3 at home. You'd want to be more convincing when you're paying $1.20, but Cologne beat Bremen 7-1. Uh, there's a few. There's 3-1, 3-0, 3-1. a couple of one-alls uh, and mm. a 6-0, so... Including yeah. one Bayern Munich. All but all but two of the games had over over three goals in it. So um absolute scenes. 
Not too shabby. Imagine that in an all-up multi. Oof. Missed opportunity, guys. Missed opportunity. What are we doing in the chat? Shall we cut the Euro shit and get straight into the Premier League? Um, <laughs> I think we're going to start with Cooper's mates, Liverpool. Uh, I was weirdly intrigued by this game, looking forward to it because it's weird seeing these two clubs so low. And I thought it might be a sign that they were going to go after each other like hammer and tongs and really go for the win. Maybe they did do that and they were just cancelling each other out. Um, but this turned out to be quite a stinker. Who wants to start us off? I think they did both go after each other. I just think they're both utter fucking pish. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought we could get one of those potentially entertaining mid-table clashes, and we just didn't. Um, I know you said to me you were intrigued about it already, Sam, and then you saw these just wildly odd lineups that no one would have predicted come out an hour before kickoff, and it put a little bit even more more interest and more of a what will happen scenario on the game. Um, but yeah, not to answer that, not a lot happened. Um, it was horribly boring, not entertaining at all. Just <clears> two <throat> two football teams that just aren't at the races and just playing bad football and it just showed. Oh, hell yeah. It reminded me of a snuff film, but you don't get to see the ending. It's like it's like all the build-up, they just continually uh, debilitate one another and then never they never finish the job. And it, like you said, the lineups were so weird. I've never heard of this. Uh, can I just butcher one name, please? Uh, Badchichich? Badchichich. Badchichich? Yeah, have I gone out of 10? Uh, I, I, right? I need That's to see right. it again. Stefan Bacetich. Bacetich, yeah. Uh, the Spaniard. Yeah, what young... is the point of having a J in your name if it's not going to be pronounceable? Please. <laughs> he's been really good for us. Um, he's probably been one of the very few shining lights we've had this season. Nice to see a young midfielder sort of come through the academy and be successful after going through the last three and a half years of the so-called Curtis Jones era. Just another Premier League experiment that's well and truly fucking past its years by date. Is that done now, Curtis Jones? You won't see him again? I think you will see him again, but I think that's not not a good thing. Sounds (laughs) sounds like a threat more than a... Perhaps a reflection on uh, the club's place at the moment with its midfield. Um, Chelsea had a few interesting ones in there as well. Obviously, Lewis Hall's been playing a bit. Uh, Cucurella came back into the side. Um, mm. Badi Ashur is at the, the Monaco defender. And then this young man made his debut, Mikhailo Mudrik, or as he's been named in various group chats already, Dudrick. Dudrick. It does sound like my kind of guy, uh, especially when you pay, what was it, 98 million euros for the guy. Uh, I would hope that initially his name would be Dudrick because it means he's really impressed on debut. Yeah, Twitter was on its knees for this bloke after 20 minutes of football that I didn't think was that impressive. He had that, he had the one moment where he had that nice little, nice little dribble he went on and he created that chance in the box that spelled into nothing, but... He shelled two pretty good opportunities into the side netting and never looked like bothering Allison. And he had that one ginormous touch instantly that he couldn't even chase down. I mean, for five or ten minutes, he made thirty what year old, nearly forty year old James Milner look look slow. But I reckon you're probably a chance to make James Milner look slow, Sammy. So I, did, I'm just, I would think so. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm just I'm just not that impressed yet. This whole he's going to be a problem thing just I think it just needs to take a breather. <clears throat> there uh, was a um th- th- I mean there was a great thread on Twitter wasn't there Sammy? Did you see this one? Oh, I was living it. I was living it. 
Actually, the, it was me with a burner account. <laughs> it's funny that you've used my name with a uh, B at the end to try and make it seem like I'm a Brentford fan, just to Absolutely. give it away. Do you want to take us through some of them? There were some great ones in here. Uh, 59 minutes. Let ZH do a solo run and didn't ask for the ball loud enough. Uh, 62. <laughs> touch of a prime Bill Cosby, which, I mean, Brilliant. yeah. I mean, in my mind, that would be a good touch, but nonetheless. Uh, uh, 65. Let's James well, Milner catch up to him. <laughs> Side James, note. Let's James Milner catch up to him. Side note, Gakpo was asked, which I agree. 69. Missed an absolute sitter. Uh, 78, didn't check on his teammate who's down injured. Poor etiquette. Poor etiquette. Great thread. Uh, eight, 84, chose Chelsea and realized his passing will go unrewarded. Nice. I'm hoping uh, we get more of this as the weeks go. Every week there's a thread about Mudrick's minute-by-minute uh, minute participation in the game. I don't want to jump on either way. Uh, people love making a rash decision. Um, I don't know. He looks pretty positive, like he's... Seems the sort of player that maybe will cause headaches. He had that one really good moment where he skipped kind of by a few and but didn't get his shot away. I don't know. Um, I just in the overall picture, it's hard for me to want him to do well, given that he's signed for not just because he's signed for Chelsea, but just given how many players Chelsea have signed and just you know have not it ha- hasn't worked or they they still they just still look bad and their response to everything is just to buy more players. Um, Perhaps their injury lists have something to do with it. I'll go through these, but Liverpool at the moment, Firmino, Diego Jota, Artur Melo, Luis Diaz, Virgil van Dijk all out. For Chelsea, Sterling, Pulisic, Breuer, Kante, Fafana, Rhys James, Edouard Mendy, Chilwell, Zachariah, and João Felix. Uh, wow. It's a couple. It's a few. It's definitely a few. Uh, does but anyone have... Go on. Is it enough for clubs with the resources they have and the depth that is available to them to solely square the fact that they've got as many points as Brentford this season. It doesn't, it just doesn't equate to me. No, I think we've done that before. And um, we've said that for clubs like this, uh, being in that position, the injuries and stuff shouldn't really be an excuse given the resources at their disposal and uh, the amount of money they're spending on players and things. So sure they've gotten injuries and stuff, but they've brought in players to replace those. They've, you know, They've still got uh they've still got guns out there. Um and if you want to cast aspersions on like Harvey Elliott or uh Lewis Hall or whatever, it's merely because they've not I mean, Elliott's a different situation because he was out injured for a little bit and he looked good prior to that. But if you're not gonna give youth players the proper opportunity in seasons or in patches of form where you're doing well so that they can play well with a side that is gelling, then you're leaving yourself, you know, open to these kind of results and the criticism that you're gonna receive. Uh, if you throw these guys in at a situation where they're not going to perform as well as they could. I think it's potentially been coming for Liverpool. Um, we've had a few, like probably two or three injury-free seasons. And I don't know how much you'd have noted, but most Liverpool supporters and people that would watch the games will note that Klopp isn't a big squad rotator. No. A, a lot of the time, like through a 38-week Premier League season, when we were fit and in those competitive title races, 30 plus of the games you're rolling out the same 11 every single week like mm. and and eventually it's you know we've got the the injuries now and it's going to bite you because you just don't have the players that have not even the players that have had Premier League experience with time but the players that have played together and, and I think that's what it seems like there's no experience going forward in terms of 
like Gakpo, Nunes, Sulla, obviously two of them are new, but when you've got Elliot, Sulla, a few of the others, there's no like just they haven't played enough football together and there's just they're still trying to gel. And when you're that big of a club, you don't necessarily get that time. You don't get that leeway. Yeah. Yeah. It's All a, right. It's a good point. Um, yeah, just it, a, a steaming hot pile of crap that game on the weekend. A disaster for everyone involved watching. It took me back to before the World Cup when we were – Remember we were slating the early game every week because it felt like the early game was just absolute garbage every week. It didn't really get a whole lot better, though, over the weekend. Uh, Forest-Bournemouth, that was a one-all draw we're not going to talk about. Uh, Leicester-Brighton, they drew two-all. We might mention this quickly because I don't think we've... We haven't spent much time on Leicester, have we, Tommy? Um, they got a draw here against Brighton. They, I guess it's it might be a valuable point come the end of the season for them. Uh, some of their bigger names getting on the score sheet again in all Brighton and Barnes. Uh, maybe... Maybe a misstep here for Brighton, who have now lost Leandro Trossard as well. But um, what what have you made of Leicester at the moment? <clears throat> I feel like every so often we do uh, just cast our eye on Leicester. If they get a point here or there, or they go on a little run, they get some off yeah. the bottom of the table. Um, yeah, we ha- you know I'm guilty of it as well. I haven't looked too deeply into them. I don't know that they deserved anything out of this game. It did seem like they were riding... Uh, the coattails of of every kind of luck that they they needed to get something. I mean, two shots on target for two goals, pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, and the, the the way you know the manner in which Barnes scores his goal, it's very lackadaisical defending by Brighton to let a, a back post uh, concession like that is it's too easy, unfortunately. And you know that's two points dropped for Brighton more than you know Leicester have gained one. I think although they'll you know they'll see it in the opposite, of course, but they just are not rejuvenated enough I think in order to make a strong contest to get themselves out of a relegation battle nah Cooper thoughts yeah I'm in a grant so I don't think um Leicester uh that team that's going to push themselves far away from the relegation zone they may they may find a way to keep themselves up but are we now falling into that category where Leicester are a bit stale and like we discussed last week with Southampton they could become that next team that cling on and cling on and cling on for a few years before they fall away. Um, I think more more positive for Brighton, though. Um, young Evan Ferguson scored himself another goal. Good goal, uh, too. 18 years old. He's now, now got three goals and two assists in five appearances for, for Brighton in the Premier League this season. So looks like he's got a bit of something about him. Yeah, Oh, yes. Stuff. I um, definitely I'm... want to get him into our fantasy team. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. I think we need to What's get Undav he... out and bring the man in. Do we have the money to? We'll check it later. Um, I think we could. If we get rid of Salah, we can do whatever we want. We're not getting rid of Salah. Uh, <laughs> Leicester, on the table, it looks much more positive for them sitting in 14th. But we were, we were just, when we were talking shit before we started recording tonight, Leicester, Leeds and West Ham all right there. Um, Who? Sorry, which? what was the middle one? That doesn't sound right to me. You just confuse that Leeds are outside the relegation zone. I'm just refusing to believe that a side of our quality could be entrenched in this kind of battle. I'm just not even. I'm not even dignifying any response there. Leicester leads West Ham all on 18 points. They're only one point out of the relegation zone. <laughs> uh, Wolves are right there as well. So there's so many teams in this group. I think Forest have maybe done enough now to sneak three points. Seems like a lot for these sides that aren't picking up many. Um, and they seem like they've just started to come together a bit. They were probably the better team against Bournemouth. I don't know. I know we didn't talk about that game. They were probably the better team there and unlucky not to win it. Um, 
But Leicester may just it, it may well just be a case that there there will they'll be lucky that there's three teams worse than them. I think Southampton definitely and Everton who we'll get to in a sec. Um, but yeah, each point in a league like this, I guess each point you kind of get as the weeks go by can be so valuable. I do. I kind of fear for Leicester coming up because their next four games are Villa, Spurs, Man United, Arsenal. And you just wonder at the end of that, if they're zero from 12 and the guys around them have picked up points, they could be well, well in the yeah. relegation zone. There, there are a good chance of points against Villa. I don't think Villa are too impressive. Um, mm, I think the, Villa, I think, I think Villa are underwhelmed. I reckon they're quite good against sides below them and yeah. uh, above them. They don't do a lot. They don't strike too much fear. Yeah. Well, they beat Southampton 1-0 this week. We weren't going to talk about that game, but we've just had a look, quick mention of Villa there, and I think we've done Southampton already. They, they looked absolute trash, so they're... There was an odd moment in that game. Did you see it stop for about 10 minutes because someone yeah. was flying a drone over the top? Yeah. That's kind of a bit of an overreaction to stop the game, don't you think? Uh, it's like un- unidentified flying device, I guess, player safety and stuff. I don't know. So it's aliens. Is that what you're getting it's at? Some, it's some sort of, it's in the rules somewhere that it's player safety and they have to leave the field till it's gone or been identified as to whose it is. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what it was in the end. I didn't look it up. Don't really care for it. It was Southampton Villa. Just on I, the, did, um... I heard that Cooper bought a new drone recently. So if you want to think <laughs> about anything like that at Adelaide United, please refrain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just on that relegation battle. Um if Bournemouth do stay up, I'd be interested to know when the last time all three promoted sides stayed up in their first season in the Premier League was. Ooh, that's a well, good question. A stat. That's, a, that's for someone to Google as we mm. skip on to this next game. Um, West <laughs> do you Ham, have a guess though, Sam? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a guess. West Ham played Everton. Uh, I don't really know what to make of West Ham still, um, but Bowen picked up a nice handy double for them. Another three points that again is hugely valuable because they were they were lingering right down there in huge strife. Um, Everton on the same amount of points going into the game, and it just they are as a disaster zone at the moment. Just before we started recording, I mentioned we there's rumours at the moment that Frank could be out the door, which would just mean another manager gone. Um, of our one of our friends of the show, Todd Everton fan, mentioned the other day that. All the managers that they've had through the door, they can't have all been that bad and got it wrong, can they? There's something seriously wrong at this club. <clears throat> as much as I would like to hang shit on uh, on the, the chubby cunt Lampard. Oh, as, as would I, and we will. And we will, because he's not a great manager, um, but you can't... He has been thrown to the wolves a little bit in this scenario. They have invested poorly. They have, you know, they haven't really, I think you know, prioritise their, 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 the goals and the outcomes. You know, they're a club that I think feel like they should be a top 10 team all of the time, but they don't They don't operate like a top 10 club. And so if you've got plans for a new stadium yep. and you've got, you know, this multi-million pound, like hundreds of millions of pounds of investment that are just pretty much going to waste, these guys you don't even see at the club anymore. It has to be boardroom level and it has to be, you know, technical football directors and all of that. It, yeah, you can't simply put it on the manager, unfortunately. Um, but you know, in saying that, Frank Lampard's record at Everton is pretty trash. He's played, uh, he's been in charge for 38 games now. He's only won nine of them. He's lost 21, accumulated 35 points throughout his tenure. You're getting less than one point a game. You're probably not cut out for the job. 
yeah, perhaps Cooper, any thoughts on this merry-go-round at Everton? Yeah, I don't really know where to start or where to go with Everton. Um, they just, like you said, it seems to be just there's got to be bigger problems than than what's purely happening on the pitch. Tom touched on their recruitment; it's not been great, but it can't continually not be great. Like I think, I think that's the point we're making is. You're right that the manager might have been, Frankie might have been thrown to the wolves on this occasion because the recruitment hasn't been good, but it's been the same for the last, what, two or three managers they've had all yeah. the way back. I mean, you go back to, you have to go back to Moyes to find the last time they, they had any sort of safe run in the Premier League, right? And it's just, it's probably gone on too long. They, the worry would be they've obviously spent quite a bit of money over the last few years, getting players in that just haven't worked out or they haven't been able to do the job. They've spent on managers, big-name managers, that have came and went. And now they're at the point where, um, obviously, I, I don't know the financial situation, but I imagine it would be a very headache, uh, a very much a headache to rebuild if you were relegated to the championship and all of a sudden weren't getting the Premier League money and you've got this massive wage bill of players that you've brought in and now you're looking to offload them and rebuild a side in the championship. It's got disaster written all over it. Certainly. And you look at kind of financial decisions made. I think Chelsea were flirting with the idea of bidding 30 odd million pounds for Anthony Gordon. And they just flat out said, no, 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 we need that guy. Um, You know, he started on the bench in this game and didn't even come on. So you look back, you know, they spent however many millions on uh, uh, Brentford's best forward, Neil Morpie. And it, he's not even getting a gig either. So where where is this investment gone and what does it benefit mm-hmm. for? Ellis Platten from Away Days, I saw, did a bit of a video during the week talking about how they seem to almost be on like a concerningly a concerning stretch that might be throwing them in like an almost Bolton direction. Yeah. They've got yeah. owners, owners that don't care but also don't want to hand over. They're in a lot of financial trouble. If they go down, it's only going to worsen. And and it's sad because they're a, they're an EFL founder. Um, and and I don't know how you help them, but so, someone has to look after these clubs and make sure that they if they get into these situations that these things don't happen. Mm, yeah. was, maybe not. Yeah, that was very diplomatic of <laughs> of you, Cooper, to say For that a it's sad. You're a Liverpool fan that said it's sad what's happening to Everton. That seems. Uh, are you more worried about? Do you, uh, is there a bigger threat from Tranmere Rovers in Liverpool? Is that the? <laughs> is that the issue here? They're the main rivals, not Everton. Um, there was a couple of other. There was a couple of nil or draws that we'll skip over. Newcastle and Palace, Leeds and Brentford, pretty ordinary fixtures. Um, Man City beat Wolves three 0 Haaland scored a hat trick. Back in the goals, um, Cooper. I'll hand this over to you because you've got uh, you've got a case to make for City being worse with him than without him. And I don't think it's that. I've definitely seen the take around. I'm interested to hear more about this. I'm not going to shut you down straight away. I think I heard it spoken about on um, on Match Day Live before the games as well, and I can't remember which pundit was talking about it, but they made a good point in that. It, Harland is the best striker in the world. There's probably no doubt in that situation. And having the best striker in the world can't make a team worse. Like, you're not yeah. going to be worse for having the best striker in the world. But is it, like, more concerning that having the best striker in the world hasn't necessarily made them better? 
Um, okay. an interesting better, stat. better in what way do you think? I, I just think playing better football. And and I think a lot of people thought that Harlem would come in and, and City played this liquid football all through last season. They've been immense for five years straight, but last season was probably the epitome of the football that they played. Um, it was just liquid. You know, De Bruyne is that false nine. They had virtually five midfielders that could all score goals running at back fours and back fives every single week. It was it was near unstoppable. Um, and I think he's, in a, in a sense, they it's like they have to play to him in a way. And sometimes I just wonder if he breaks their attacks down a little bit in the build-up. And I think I, I use the comparison when we were talking about it, Sam, that he's a little bit like when that Barcelona side that Pep had, had Zlatan Ibrahimovic up front. He's yep. going to score bags of goals because he's an unbelievably good striker and he's lethal. But does he really fit the way that they play? Um, and I've had an interesting an interesting statistic where like, I feel like my base of sort of seeing the argument comes from is that Haaland scored 25 goals. He's ahead of the Golden Boot winner from last year by multiple goals already. We're only halfway through the season. That's ridiculous. He's technically, he, he probably won't, but he's technically on track to score 50 goals yep. in a Premier League season. Man City have scored 53 goals through 20 games this season, and he has 25 of them. Last season without Haaland, Man City had scored 53 goals through 20 games. So they're in the exact same position goal scoring wise as they were at this point last season, but they're five points worse off in the league. Hmm. Sam, do you have anything for that? That's uh that's quite an interesting point. I don't you think it's better to have a singular figure that you can rely on to put these chances away though? Is that I, not it wasn't rather. that the argument with Chelsea, uh, not Chelsea, with City all of those years that they didn't have a focal point in big games to battle them out of trouble? I would rather have him than not have him, 100%. And I think if you're, I don't know, if you're building a team towards winning titles like they always do, um, I feel like they have, it's, he is on the end of a lot of these and scoring the goals, but I think it's just a matter of if he wasn't there, they've got plenty of players that would step up and be scoring goals. I think last season's stats that you've just said there can kind of, do they confirm that? It really depends how you want to interpret those statistics. To me, mm. I, I would say that, um, you know, last year they just had more people contributing. This year they haven't needed, like, I don't think you're necessarily going to score more goals having Haaland, but like you said, Tommy, there's a reliable goal scorer there that's going to take a big load of those, and he's definitely taking the load of the goal scoring, and it means those other guys are, there's less pressure on others to contribute in a scoring way. Um, I don't know, I, I would 100% be having him than not having him. Yeah, that's that's what it boils down to, doesn't it? Whether or not you think that like a focal point centre forward is needed in order to win trophies. And City did it without him. And like, I think you can maybe make the argument when they didn't play with a center forward, they perhaps had more control of games and maybe were less susceptible to dropping points. But they're also at a different point uh, in Pep's career with them at the moment. And, the you know, different point of the, um, of the project in that they are pretty much solely focused on winning a Champions League. We commented last week on it. Pep doesn't care about the Cabral Cup, doesn't care about the Premier League. I think they pretty much just want the Champions League. And if you look through the years, a, a, you know, a really solid number nine is going to get you into the final and is going to give you the best chance at winning it than not having a number nine. Yeah, fair enough. Um, 
I don't know, if, did either of you watch this game against Wolves last night? Um, I know you were probably watching Leeds, Tommy, but I was uh, had a look Three over this. gritted teeth. Um, Man City completely dominant, as you would expect in a game like this. Um, Wolves sitting pretty low on the table, but I thought they were a bit hard done by by the referee at times. He was pretty happy to dish out the cards. Um, there was a comment from Pep this week. He, he had a bit of a whinge midweek about um, players from other teams kind of going in hard on, uh, was it Lewis Hall? Rico Lewis, sorry. Rico, Rico. Lewis. And it looked like every time a Wolves player went near him, the referee was giving a foul. And in one case, even booked a guy mm. for a challenge on the halfway line where it looked like it was one of those, you know, 50-50 kind of, they're both kind of holding, they're both potentially fouling. It's probably just play on. Um, yeah, I just thought that was interesting. I don't know what, if you either of you make anything of, referees being influenced by perhaps media moments like that from big guys like Pep? I think they are. I, I don't even think it's, it's media moments. I just, I just think these coaches have, have too much pull over, over referees. And I, I know you guys have slandered in the past before and a lot of people do, but I, I genuinely don't think there's enough like punishment for when these big guys get up and, and they question these referees publicly and, and put the pressure on them. And that, they, you always see that everyone going, oh, why don't we make why don't we make referees make themselves available for press conferences after games and they can explain their decisions and and the reason always given back and it's fair enough is is because these guys are the most slandered people in the sport. Yeah, it, it's to protect them. So why do these why do these head honcho managers like Pep and like Klopp and why do they get to go to press conferences and continuously rag on them and and talk about well hold on why is Rico Lewis being targeted and 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 it's just if Rico Lewis is being fouled nine times out of ten the referees giving the foul yeah I I just don't feel like there is any there needs to be any sort of leeway for Pep to be able to go into a press conference and, and say these kinds of things I think there's a there's a case for like um him. I, I get the perspective of, of uh, managers do this sort of thing to show their players that they're in their corner and that kind of thing. I think there's a way to do it. I think this week it was more just a, like Pep just had a bit of a whinge about he felt that Rico was being tar- targeted and that referees need to protect him. I think that's a little bit different from, I think what you're more alluding to there is like the, you know, we've seen managers come in after a game and just absolutely rip into a referee about certain decisions. I think that, that, probably should be cracked down on a bit as well. Um, but this, I yeah, I don't know. I reckon it's less pronounced in the Premier League. I think there's a more uh, embedded, it's not a direction, but it's kind of, uh, you know, it's just more of like an intuition to give a Man City against Wolves more of the 50-50 fouls than if Man City were playing Arsenal, for example, where you want to, you would referee the game differently. And so if you think a team that has 70 to 75% of the ball you initially, uh, I think intuitively you think, okay, they're going to be more prone to getting fouled. And so if a player is breathing down his neck and, he d- and the guy does go onto the ground, I think you saw it a lot in the Man United Arsenal game. Pretty much if you come anywhere near a player on halfway line and you you know make contact with him, he's going to go to ground, you're going to get the foul. And that kind of seems like what sides that dom the possession are capable of doing. I think in, you know, if we don't t- we'll talk about the A-League quick, there was that great uh, Ernie Merrick press conference before the Adelaide Melbourne Grand Final where he whinged about uh, Archie Thompson being called offside all the time, despite yep. the fact he was always offside. And then you saw yeah. a lot of marginal calls in that Grand Final go victory's way. All of them. That, yeah, okay, all of them. That, to me, was more 
more clear of a manager getting into the referee's ears than this kind of thing. Uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with him. I'd prefer young. I know it's you play young players against old players. It doesn't matter. Everything goes the same, but it's not great to see a young player get kicked uh, left, right, and center just because he's good or is on the yeah, ball a lot. Hundred percent. I I, just, I think the point that a lot of people are making here is that referees are under so much pressure from these guys that they've become impressionable. And it's always been a thing. Like uh, to <laughs> me, I, and I know it's the reverse of the situation, but I remember um, it happened in Australia with Stephen Mork, and it happened. It was pre-pronounced in England with Suarez when he was at Liverpool that a bunch of managers turned around and they were like, this guy is continuously going down under no contact. He is diving, stop falling, stop falling for his tricks. And, and then for weak periods after Suarez would be sure he was a diver at times, but there would be times where he was genuinely fouled. And as soon as it happened, it was just like, not let it go, let it go because you don't want to be slandered for getting it Mm. wrong. And, and it got, shown off a bit with the Mork situation here because by the time that arose we had VAR and there was a few incidents in a row where Mork went down in the box and they were genuine fouls and referees just waved it away because they didn't want to be the one that made that that wrong decision I've fallen for the Mork dive again and it's not conclusive enough to be overturned so they've left yeah. it and and every time it's come back and you, you can see it's just a, a foul and I, I just think the way to stop these referees from being impressionable and having the pressure put on them is to just stop these managers from talking about them i think regardless of the managers talking about them you get a lot of public discussion about them anyway so why does it why does it it need to it comes anyway it doesn't need to come from a man manager it comes anyway um i'm sure that would that mean that you stop interviewing managers straight after the game because that just seems like the most pointless task of all uh i think the questions are always loaded aren't they Mm. They're always directed and to yeah exactly yeah I don't know I find the whole thing boring the post game press conferences are mostly boring I think um you know they're also very strictly monitored by like PR people so uh, manage maybe not so much the managers but um you know they're the ones to get the most loaded questions so I'm sure we'll talk about it again when we do our red edition because we both picked up on a similar thing with. Hiro Ibasuki and how defenders are all over him. So we'll probably talk about that. I'm going to start calling it the Jack Ginevan effect for the Collingwood fans oh, out there. Um, I'm sorry, last who? game, Last game of the round, uh, Arsenal three, Man United two. Uh, I just, I don't know where to start with this. <laughs> um, a five-goal banger at the Emirates. Um, United challenged for the title for a few days. And um, wasn't that know, fun? Who, who wants to take this away? Cooper, it's all yours, mate. <laughs> Probably the best game of Premier League football I've watched this season. Really? Um, really? Okay. Cracking, cracking game. Um, One of three uh, games you've seen. It was. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, um, very nice to watch some English talent put on a show in the Premier League as well, and very nice to have sat here for. 15 minutes and discussed how Eddie and Kedia wasn't good enough to play up front for Arsenal last week. And then he is, saws them. Oh, is that what we said? Is that what title. I said? Oh, is that what I said? Can somebody, can we run the tape back? Can we, cause I don't think I said that. I think you've made that up. No, no. I'm talking about myself saying that I don't think he's a striker that's good <laughs> oh, okay. enough to, good enough to play in a top six side or win you the Premier League. Um, Look at defensive Sammy gets straight oh, away. Mate, that's my boy, Eddie. There's an absolute theme this week, right? 
I, I mentioned earlier in the show that I copped some grief from people. I copped some grief over like multiple things. One of them was, yeah, um, people very, I don't know if they choose to misinterpret what I said about Enkedia last week. Didn't say he was bad. Said I'm worried about him having to play every fucking game for the rest of the season because he's the only <laughs> striker in the squad. A pretty reasonable concern, I would have thought. I still want him to score goals. Uh, it happened with <laughs> Zach Clough as well for Adelaide. <laughs> we absolutely ripped Zach Clough on our Adelaide United pod last week, and then he scored. And people were like looking at me and giving me the finger and pointing at me. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want him to do bad. Jesus, I'm happy he scored. Christ, um, that's where we yeah. differ. Yeah. Wow. This um, this game, I think, I don't know. Um, I'll try and. I like to think I'm pretty neutral when I analyze Arsenal games. Um, I thought Sheesh. Arsenal were the Arsenal were easily the better team, and I was pretty gutted when Lissandro Martinez equalized a clever header that one. Um, but I just felt like Arsenal did deserve the three points overall. I know you still got to earn it and score the goals, but um, yeah, they just some of the football they played. It just I, I'm not getting very. You, you won't get tired of watching this kind of link up between like Erdegaard, even Thomas Partey, the way he's come along. Bakayo Saka is taking the piss at the moment and got a Premier League man of the match again. Martinelli is deadly. And now they've added Leandro Trossard to the squad. I said last week I was hoping for an extra body in that attacking third. And uh, we got it. And yeah, and Kedia popping up twice and Saka with a weldy. What more can you want? He, uh, he looked a lively signing, Trossard, when he came on. Um, you can see the the intricacies quite aren't quite there yet. Uh, there was a couple of times where he played and moved into the same position, but uh, his work rate is very reminiscent of Eddie and Keddie are up top. And it's it was the forward press that I think for Arsenal throughout this game. It was Enkedia getting after the defenders. There was a couple of times where he was pulled up by the referee for being for like encroaching into the box uh, on a goal kick. Because yeah. for some reason, Man United just persisted, persisted to hey, a short passes yeah. to the centre backs, um, and he was so eager throughout the game in order to get on top of them. And the way that uh, Martin Odegaard steps up and gets into the space as well, and like you said, Thomas Party had a great game. Xhaka is everywhere. Uh, you know, Saka and Martinelli on either side. They track. They go forward and back. They're so dangerous one on one. You know, the, the, I thought the best matchup of the game was Martinelli versus uh, Wamba Saka. So I think yep. Wan-Bissaka has had a really good uh, post-World Cup period. I thought he yeah. was excellent against Man City. He can defend. We know that. He really can. And his yeah. slide tackle, man, you talk about the death of the slide tackle. This guy does not care. He will go for a scoop challenge in the box and he will risk it all in order to um, to be the hero. And, you know, generally he comes out on top. So I thought that was a really good matchup. I, I agree. Maybe not the best game I've seen all season, but it's definitely up there. Uh, so... But, you know, I agree with both of you. I think, Sammy, you're correct. Arsenal definitely deserve this game. There's shades of Mourinho's first in at Chelsea about this Man United in that they are defensively very sound, very organized, and they rely upon little moments of magic where they, they you know, that was their first shot. The Rashford goal is a great goal. Yeah. That was their first shot a, in 20 minutes. A guy minutes who and... up until recently has not been able to finish very well at all. And nah. now he's finding the net every time he shoots. Nah, he could have paid for it. Ivan Tony It's a cracking goal. Wouldn't... Oh, it's a beautiful goal. And they, they really honed down into, you know, the, the magic of it. That, you know, Thomas Part was it party that slips up. He doesn't play the ball properly and it gets intercepted. Um, but, you know, the way Finance finds Rashford in that area, you don't necessarily think he's going to create a goal-scoring opportunity, but he lines up Gabriel, makes sure that he's in the line of Ramsdale's vision, 
and just absolutely smacks it into the bottom, our bottom left, Ramsdale's bottom right. That's yeah. a brilliant goal. Absolute humdinger. Yeah, brilliant goal. Um, their second goal was pretty good as well. As I mentioned, a clever, clever header. I didn't, of you know, you I think, didn't think it was You're not buying that good. into the deliberate. No, I was, I was a little not like the the goal's okay, I think, but it's kind of in its in a way a free header. Like Ramsdale and Tomiyasu have really fucked that up. One of them has to be collecting or clearing that. Ramsdale's cocked it up because he's got two. He got two hands to it and dropped it. I mean, and he knows like the defenders. The defender can't just move out the way. The defenders. The defender's going to be there and he's going to jump. Um, he's got the reach above the defender and he's got two hands to it and he just dropped it. So I, me, I, thought, um, I thought that kind of summed up Tommy Asu's game. He didn't, for me, when he came on, he didn't look as good or comfortable as Ben White. On the fall down too, when it dropped to Martinez, um, I think his size benefited him in the situation because the closest Arsenal player to him was Martin Erdouard, who was preparing to throw a foot at it. But Martinez was able to just slightly drop the knees and get under it with his head so quickly that he just, it rendered Erdegaard's position null and void. Like he couldn't, if he threw a foot at it, it was going to be a penalty regardless. So he just had to, just had to wait and see what came of it. Um, You hadn't touched on it yet, but the Saka goal, um, rivaling Rashford's to be the goal of the game. I I still think, I still think Rashford's was a pick of the bunch, just how it started outside the post and, and found its way back in. Um, But Tom spoke about, how he thought Martinelli and Wembasaka was the matchup of the game. Just on the flip side of that coin, on across on the other side of the pitch, last week we discussed Luke Shaw at centre back, yeah, and how we thought he'd been quite good for them at centre back, and yep. it had been a little blessing in disguise because Tyrrell Malassia had come back into the side at left back and mm. take probably taken the absolute piss for three or four games, and and Martinez and Varane reestablished themselves as the centre back combo this week, but it pushed. Shaw back out to left back and the inform Malassia in that position out of the team. And and I think Saka took the piss out of Luke Shaw he, for 90 odd minutes. I was going to mention that before we moved on. Um, I had a, a few United people today had mentioned that um, to me that Saka killed Luke Shaw. He absolutely he killed him. He gave him a bath. Um, deservedly mm. got man of the match for it as well. Yeah, Luke Shaw, there was a, a foul I'm a Luke Shaw first. fan. You are a Luke. <laughs> I've been since episode one a Luke Shaw fan. Yeah. I, st- I still don't rate him. And I think this is why when he comes up against an actual mobile winger that wants to go forward and back, he's got no answers for it. And he should have been booked. I think it was about 30 minutes where it just, you know, yeah. cynical challenge brings him. Uh, was it, uh, it may not have been sack. I can't remember exactly. But he ends up booking Arteta for the exchange. Yeah. And I, that just it just baffled me. That was definitely a yellow card challenge, and it, it yeah. kind of let him get away with a few more. And he did end up booked late in the game. It's really frustrating because yeah. if if they are able to get a result out of that game, it's like why was he allowed the extra kind of fouls to get away with not being a, getting a second booking? Um, if you just booked him the first time, it was so cynical, especially when you compare it to you know the yellow cards that <laughs> some Wolves players were picking up against City. Very different levels of refereeing. I think it's a um. It, you talk about Luke Shaw and how United supporters have spoken about how bad he was and how Saka gave him a bath, but I think it's genuinely it's a it's a mistake from Eric Ten Hag because you look at the 
the kind of player that Saka is in comparison to Shaw. He's not the kind of player that you want one-on-one with Bukayo Saka. And I think about what Tyrone Malashia brings to that left side for Man United and how he's small and pacey and able to keep up with the tricky fast players. And I just feel like he was a much better option matchup-wise than, than yeah, Shaw match- was. Matchup-wise, yes, but I think I can understand why he did it just for that defensive solidity and the idea. I think Shaw is potentially a better uh, distributor of the ball out of defense. And I think he always he had that idea that they were going to be under the cosh and that he really needed, if they're going to play short balls out of the back, Luke Shaw in there to be able to deliver those passes. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other point I had on this game was just something I saw on Twitter. Um, you've mentioned him before on the podcast, Antonis Pagonis does a few few articles, good Adelaide stuff that gets around on Twitter, but he posted, I saw an image alongside it from a retweet that was about the the look of disappointment on the Arsenal players' faces when they lost the game that cost them champion Champions League last year, the young guys and how like physically yeah. they were upset and how visually you could see how angry and upset they were at themselves yeah. that they missed out on Champions League. They had League. it in their hands and, all season. Yeah, and, and you look at them... I don't know what they've done or discussed or or whether it's just individually in all of them after last season, but Antonis wrote it as they look hell-bent on not even leaving a single game disappointed this season, and and they're really playing that way. They, they're going into, it doesn't matter who they're playing, they're going into every single week looking like they're going to bust their ass for 90 minutes and and get a result. And, and I think that's what got them over the line last night is that United were, were sort of, and I know they're away from home, but happy to sit back and and take that draw and the last probably 10 minutes of the game, Arsenal were just relentless. Like it just felt like it was coming. Yeah. I don't know if they were happy to, I think they were forced into it by Arsenal's dominance from the start. Oh, I, I reckon think. they were pretty pleased, Sammy. There was some shit yeah, actually going on in the last 10 minutes that yeah. uh, Bruno Fernandes going down on the, under that Xhaka challenge, pretending he had a head injury. Like that was pretty fucked up. I thought that stopped a minute. De Gea going down under a challenge for no reasons, soaking up another 45 seconds. That to me is the sign of a team that is lucky to get away with a point. Well, can I just quickly, before we finish, um, we'll just wrap it up shortly, but... If you're you're Man United, you've come out of a week where you they've been on a very good run of form since the World Cup. They've knocked off City in the derby last week, um, and then you come out and you cop uh, a weldy of a free kick to draw away to Palace, and then you go to the Emirates and lose in the 90th minute again, um, and then you you only get one point from a possible six in those two games when you thought you were mounting. Well, you, you may still be my, mounting a title challenge, I guess. I don't want to be the one to say it. You guys can, but not, I don't want to jinx anything. But I'll do it. What do you, how do you, I don't know. What, what do they do now from this week? What Do they just come back and are they still in the hunt? Do they try and just match it with City and then keep up and hope that that drags them up towards where Arsenal are? Or what, I don't know. A tough week for them. Real up and down roller coaster. They're, they're shooting for top four, aren't they? Surely. I don't. Yeah, you know, that's what I, I was going to get think- to. If I think I maybe that I think maybe their fans were getting a little bit excited, um, as as you would as a Man United fan. Yeah. You've gone so many years now without actually contesting for a title, and you get the tiniest little sniff. Of course, you're going to go after it like a mm. you know oily rag. But uh, that realistically, they'll never in it because they're still, for me, lacking a genuine number nine. Uh, Vaught Vekers, I thought he had a decent game. Yeah, he looks like the kind of striker Ten Hag is going to be able to utilize. There's a lot of nice one touches. Um, you know, just past halfway, linking up with the wingers and stuff like that. But they're lacking a goal scorer outside of Rashford. And you're not 
You know, you're not going to challenge Arsenal and City without that. No. Cooper, you got anything on that? Yeah, look, I think I think they'll bounce back. And I, I don't know if it's off the basis that, you know, the chasing pack are underperforming or or whether they're too good for the chasing pack. Um, I think Newcastle's consistency might help them. I think a genuine, like, happy jump for Man United is is you've got to start somewhere. So finish in the top four this season and 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 see what you can do post that. They've obviously got their um their League Cup semi-final um, against Nottingham Forest in the break coming up. Um, it's two legs. How, how much do you put into the first leg? How much do you even care about winning overall? I'm sure United would probably like to come out of this season with a trophy of some description and a top four finish. That's probably the ultimate goal. Um, but Premier League-wise, I think Newcastle will give them something to chase. Keep chasing Newcastle. Let them keep you consistent. Finish in the top four, you know. Um, they come back from their League Cup break into the Premier League next week and they play Crystal Palace again. So it's a good spot to, you know, right the wrongs, that yep. right what went, went wrong last week for them against Palace, get three points on the board and just kick on from then. I think the top four is very close to set. I don't think the I don't think the chasing pack are playing well enough to to give United and Newcastle too many headaches. All right, good stuff. Um, just yeah, on that quick, I want to throw on. just one out there. I reckon Brighton can run them down. Brighton look fantastic, have scored more goals than Man United. Uh, you know, they win their game in hand. They're only five points behind them. Yep. I just, like you said, they have to play two games now in the Carabao Cup. They're still in the FA Cup. It depends what they want to do. I don't reckon they can finish top four and win a trophy. They've got still to pick one. Still in Europa League. Europa League? United potentially conference league. What are they in? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they're still in the Europa League. I don't are they know. In any Europe whatsoever? Maybe yeah, that's... Europa League, but they've got Barcelona. Yeah. Um. On that note, I think we might wrap it up. But just in case people thought we were being too nice there to United, we fucking hate them, and I'm so glad they <laughs> lost. And I hope they continue to lose every week. Who knows? Maybe if they can't find anyone to score goals outside of Rashford, they should sign someone like Cristiano Ronaldo or something like that. I don't know. Maybe get Ronnie back. Get Ronaldo. Sign Ronaldo. You should try that experiment. I don't know. See how you go. 40-year-old Edinson Cavani. Try that. That might work. Who knows? Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic is still around. He's getting pretty old. Sign him. I don't know. I don't give a shit. Get him in. Do something. And keep losing. Please, United. Keep losing. I fucking hate you. All right. I've, <laughs> I've thoroughly enjoyed that in the last few weeks. Now the form's dropped again. The red and white scarves are back in the dusty old cover. And the green and yellow is back out on the terrace. The green and yellow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretending to be Norwich once again. All right, we're going to wrap it up. We're going to record a Adelaide United Red edition as well. We had a good bounce back. Uh, we got three points. We beat MacArthur. So tune into that and listen um, Listen out for that. We got, uh, yeah, well, what do we got? What do we got? Fucking, I don't know. I'm lost now. We've gone on a bit and I'm really lost. I'm just going to wrap do you want, it up. <laughs> do, you, do, you want me to, do you want to wrap it up with one more talking point? Oh, here we go. Go on very quickly. Very quickly, uh, Stoke rejected a £10 million bid from Leicester for Harry Sutar. Do you think that is justified? Is he worth any more than £10 million? What are Stoke playing at here? Let the man play Premier League football. Uh, who, who put the bid in, sorry? Leicester. Yeah, that's you're taking that, surely. Surely. I don't surely. Understand He's not. Why. How old is Sutar? 23. He's young, isn't he? Uh, Cooper's Googling it. We've now got a guy that Googles stuff. After no, we, it's incredible. We, we said we, all these times we said, oh, that's something for the Google guys. We have Cooper now. He's our Google guy. <laughs> he's, he's 24. Yay, 24. You so, you know, you're talking about 24, a 24-year-old 24 centre-back 
who's never played higher than the championship. That's his peak right now. Mm-hmm. Um, who has had a severe knee injury in the past. 10 million, I think, is a fucking good deal. And I'm pretty annoyed that I've just heard Stoke turn that down because yep. I'd like to see the boy playing Premier League. Australian bias, Harry Sutar, success bias aside, I they're only six points from bottom of the championships table, Stoke. Potentially, Harry Sutar is too important to them staying up. And regardless of what happens this season, he's still going to be worth 10 million plus at the end of the season. So from Stoke's perspective, I can probably see why they can. If they go down, he is, he is worth a fifth of that. I'd say you'd get him for two to threes. Yep. They they would need to offload. If you're going down to league one, you need to offload. If they stay up, sure. They'll still get their 10 mil, I'd say. But um, yeah, I guess, I guess if you are Stoke, you probably are trying to keep him, but anyway, we'll wrap it there. Thanks for listening. Check out the Red Edition. That's coming out soon as well. Have a good week, folks. See you, guys. See you, mate. Peace, love. They said goodbye to me this week. How good. <laughs> Only because you guilt-tripped us into it. Shut up.